1: Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to The Things We Say. Uh, Just as uh, a little aside here, we're going to start a new segment uh, as a part of The Things We Say podcast, and uh, I'm going to
0: let Sheldon kind of tell you what we're doing. This is not on today's topic, so we're going to have a totally separate topic, but there is going to be a little, like, Easter egg here at the beginning. I don't know if Easter egg's the right word, but a a different segment that we're introducing each week. (laughs) It's called Things We Don't Understand. (laughs) So... So me and Nate run into these things in our lives that we're like, man, I just do not understand this. Um, So one of those this week, I was recounting the first time that I watched a horse race. (laughs) And I obviously do not understand horse racing. And to this day, this is my only experience with a horse race (laughs) of any kind. Um, because it was so terrible. So, so open that up. When you
1: say I don't understand horse racing, what I, is it you do I literally about? did
0: not understand what I was signing up for. So, my wife is uh, a big like 4-H person. So she knows horses. She knows animals. She yeah. grew up on a farm. I grew up around farms, but um, that's different than horse racing. And so, she. She knew about more about horse racing than I did and kind of assumed that I knew what was happening when the Kentucky Derby was going to be on. Okay. So I had heard that the Kentucky Derby was going to be on this particular weekend. I think it's on a Saturday. And so I was like, oh, okay, we'll block out some time. We'll watch the Kentucky Derby. And coverage starts at a certain time, and it's about an hour before the race, I think, coverage starts. Okay. And so I about... You know 45 minutes before the race anchored down on the couch i'm watching and they're telling about the horses they're telling about the track and looking at everybody that you know drives all these miles and puts on all these you know fancy clothes oh, yeah. and beautiful cars and like all these dignitaries flock to this right horse race and so i'm like ah oh, this is like the super bowl of horse racing this is gonna be <laughs> awesome and I don't know why it struck me that I need to watch a horse race today, but um, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for it. And by the time it got around to the time the horse, it was going to happen, they're going to open the chutes, off go the horses. And I'm like, yeah, here we go. And they go around one time and they were done. And I'm (laughs) like, (laughs) and Jess remembers me saying something like, that wasn't like NASCAR at all. (laughs) And what I was expecting was at least a couple laps. Like I wasn't expecting them to do hurdles. I knew you go around a particular track. Right. I wasn't sure whether or not like how it was going to be at the finish line or like how many laps you would go. I didn't have any frame of reference. I just assumed it was more than one lap around (laughs) and they go around this one track and they're done. And I'm like. Everybody just goes home. Like, like this, is I wasted an hour of my life sitting here getting ready for this. And it went like, I don't know, it felt like 10 seconds and it was all
1: over. It. I would agree with you. It's definitely a very outmoded
0: form of entertainment. I like get it, it. How did this take people all weekend? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel you. I feel you on that. Things I do not understand. Horse racing. I've never watched another one in my life, except for like, Watch the movie Sea Biscuit. Right, which doesn't count. It doesn't count. No, it's longer it's... than a horse race and more entertaining. Far longer,
1: <laughs> as a matter of fact. Oh man. Things we don't understand. Things we don't understand. So yeah, every every podcast we're gonna open with a things we don't understand. And I'll take uh, next next podcast, I'll take the lead on that one. So there it is. All right. <laughs> Moving on into today's subject,
0: what do we got? Today's uh, subject is very broad. We're going to be talking about music. We haven't really defined it any further than that, mainly because we don't want to put ourselves in a box. Um, But we want to talk about music and kind of its purpose um, and how we experience it, different things like that. Um, to give you a little bit of background, Nate is a musician by profession and a worship leader, to be precise. I am totally just a consumer of music. <laughs> I do. I have never written any music. I have played a little bit of other people's music on a guitar until I realized it wasn't very good, and then I quit. <laughs> so, as a, as I properly should have, and stayed in my lane. So. <laughs> So I don't make music. I love music. I've experienced, you know, great times as we all have with music. And, and just it's a big part of our lives. And if you look at any form of entertainment, mm-hmm. it, it has a score. If it's a, if it's a movie, it has background music right. if you're at an event. Even in church, you're sitting there before things start. There's some sort of music playing right. in the room Um, a lot of corporate events, any, anytime there's an event, there's music, right? Um, a lot of us work out to music. A lot of us drive with music in our cars and we just interact with it so much. And it's, it takes up a huge portion of our day and we just felt like talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's interesting to me because music is a very, I think one of the common ground things about music is it's something that everyone can experience, and, and everyone experiences dif- is, experiences it differently, but it's overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, the uh, it would have been, what, 20, 2014, uh, the Beach Boys played at our local fair. And we went to that, because I always loved the Beach Boys. I mean, obviously... If anyone knows any of the Beach Boys thing, you know, it's barely the Beach Boys now. It's basically like a Beach Boys cover band with Mike Love in it, and that's it, uh, which is kind of sad. But anyway, but it was still fun. Like, the music was fun. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, there's people there in their 70s. There's people there that are, you know, just barely in grade school and everything in between. And all of these people are, for different reasons, thrilled with the experience they're having and just having a good time. And, and while i've had that experience in a lot of other places and i would say more intensely in other environments one of them that you happen to be at actually coldplay yes coldplay um that one was the most profound to me because it was so far reaching you you had people who you know have memories of sitting in a car with a girl or guy you know listening to this particular beach boys song you know as we typically that wonder years style make out point kind of kind of vibe you know and then you've got you know, people who were actually surfers or people who, like we did, we started listening to it when we would go wakeboarding all the time. We started listening to the Beach Boys a ton. That was just kind of the thing. So thinking about all these distinct memories that people have, but it hinges still on this one thing. I mean, you can hear the one song on the radio, have 45 people listen to it, and you're going to have 45 completely different reactions, but it's always going to be emotional. It's always going to be some kind of visceral reaction, whether it's love or hate.
0: (laughs) Do you feel like music and emotion are tied together in an inseparable way. Like, yes, yes. Can music be completely cerebral or is there always um, an emotional response to it? I and have, is like, the purely cerebral yeah. experience of music missing a lot? <laughs> I, think it,
1: I think it's missing a lot in that I've, I've heard people play piano so say somebody who's who's trained classically trained on piano and they've played for years you know 10 20 15 years well, i don't want to put 15 at the end of that but whatever but anyway 10 20 30 years let's go with that and they technically know exactly what they're doing they can sight read a piece of music they can tell you all the all the modes and all the scales and they can describe to you mathematically how it all fits together but they can't emote through it it's just it's just the notes on a page with no emotion behind it, and you hear it in the way they play. It doesn't affect people, it doesn't stir people, it doesn't move people at all. It's just, for lack of a better word, it's just math. And I'm yeah. sorry for you math nerds out there that are insulted by the fact that I would put a negative connotation on math, but math is pointless unless you wanna teach it, so well, there you Well, it's go.
0: pointless in the realm of emotion. <laughs> yes. And, and so, like, I've been to piano recitals, and I don't know that anyone has Stirred me a piano recital, but I've heard people play the piano in a way that stirred an emotion. Exactly. So. Exactly. There is a, there is a difference there. And, um, I don't know, let's talk a little bit more about the emotion behind music. Cause, um, we were at the same Coldplay concert. And one of the things that I found so interesting about Coldplay in general is, Like you said, the diverse age range, yeah, um, ethnicity background. I was surprised at that actually at the age,
1: the age range, yeah, was there.
0: And there was like little kids in front of me that could not have been more than middle school age, and then people behind me that were like older, yeah, and and that were much older than me, right. And I was like, wow, these people are all into it. And one of the unique things about that concert was that they had the light up wristbands Mm -hmm. on, so you could see someone across an arena dancing. Yeah. To the music. Yeah. And it really kind of gave you an emotional connection with other people in the room. Right. In a weird way that I hadn't experienced except in church. Right. And I would have chalked that up to a spiritual experience saying like, we're here worshiping the same God, he's stirring our hearts. And that's why I feel that connection with other people in the room. But this was happening in a totally, you know, secular experience. It's It's not sacred in any way. But there was that vibe that was happening right. where you're like, I well, and I and some would say this is sacrilegious that I'm even
1: gonna say it, but you and I have actually talked about it a little bit. I believe there is something innately spiritual and even innately sacred about music itself. Yeah. There is something about being able to create in that realm that is I can't even say it's distinctly human because you have, you know, birds, songbirds, different things that, that emulate what we think of as music, but it's, there's just, there is something innately spiritual about it. There, there just is. And even if it's a horrible Nickelback song, like there's still, (laughs) there's still some innate spirituality to the creative aspect and the experiential aspect of music. Um, and I think that's because spirituality and emotion are so closely tied, um, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in in reason. I, I don't think that anybody's spiritual life can be sustained by experience. Um, I believe the experience... Experience solely. Yes, yeah, experience is necessary. You have to have it or else you just have dry religion. But experience only, you end up like just, you know, a leaf on the wind and you'll be swayed by anything that makes you feel something and there's no solidness. So there has to be a hand-in-hand hand, uh, deal with that. So... But even so, um the realities of how I've been stirred by music, by how I've been moved by music it's I can almost parallel it exactly to spiritual experiences I've had as well um, and i I don't know there's there's I'm sure there's people who have done studies on why that feels the way it does or whatever. but for me, that has always been i've connected musically uh i mean I can connect things in my life to musical things I've heard to it is just interwoven into everything that I've ever experienced. I think in songs, it's just it's just the reality.
0: I do think that music is tied to a spiritual connection. You watch, um, we were talking about Coldplay, but if you watch the live performances of Fix You when yeah. they play that song, Fix You, um, you watch people's reactions to it, and it's very similar oh, yeah. to reactions at any church in America where you will see people raising their hands you'll see people with tears running down their face. People are connecting, you and I saw this, um, live performance of like dashboard confessional yeah. confessional, like the, this one guy and a guitar was able to stir people's emotions and yeah. that they reacted in much the same way anybody would in a worship service. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I would say that a lot of worship services don't even rise to the level like what we're I would talking agree with about. That. Yeah. Because it is a spiritual experience and I'm I'm with you. I, humans are unique in their ability to sing and their ability to create m- new music. Right. And I've often been struck by a couple things on that topic. Um one that there is a possibility of writing new songs. That there's no way that cuz Notes and chord structure and all of this is essentially math. Right. And so to me, in my brain, I'm like, there's a finite number mm-hmm. of ways that you can arrange these particular notes. Right. I was particularly amazed by this in pop punk songs because oh, yeah. it's three chords and it's two and a half minutes long <laughs> and there's no way that it continues to be original. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it is. Like yeah. People continue to write new music all the time and without copying someone or, you know, playing or doing exactly what they did. But the human ability to continue to create new and different music is phenomenal. Yeah. And... To me that that is a spiritual quality. The other the other part of this is that I've always been amazed by is when you read the Bible, it doesn't talk about anybody singing other than people. Yeah. Like it never specifically says that the angels sang. No. We say that angels sing, yeah. But the Bible doesn't say that. And it's quite possible that humans are the only beings in the universe that sing other than God. yeah. Because we know that God rejoices over us with singing, right. as it says in the Bible. So we know that he sings, and we know that we sing, and we can write music.
1: Right. Um, I consider music one of the strongest echoes of the image of God that continues to resound through humanity. Um, you know, I, I feel like anytime someone would tell me, well, there's innately good in people because they do this, that, or the other, I'm like, no, that's just an echo of the image of God. That's that's a, a leftover from the fact that we have his imprint on us that's just still continuing, even in spite of the fall. And I feel like music is probably the biggest aspect of, of his nature that still echoes in humanity, no matter what state, whether they acknowledge him or not. I genuinely believe that.
0: Yeah, and Lucifer, I think... I'm trying to put this all together, but Lucifer, wasn't he in charge of music in heaven? That's, I, I, that's, I should have done research. No, that's
1: that's part of a prevailing theory I've heard, and, and uh, I've seen some scriptural things to back that up. I've seen some that debunk it, but it's an interesting idea for yeah, sure.
0: It's interesting, and I always remember that being connected to the idea that you should only listen to Christian music because uh, there's yeah. a possibility that Satan's behind everything else yeah. in all of creation, yeah. and so... Like, well, first of all, unless, I don't let's know, just know that get that's that. biblical, and no. this goes back to the things we say being totally unscripted, and us just sitting down and talking about it. The right. fact that we don't have facts <laughs> and figures and scripture passages to right. go back that up, right? It's because we're doing this just off the right. cuff. So. Well,
1: let, let me let me talk about that for just a second. I, I I very I very much get irritated with the idea that Satan is a creative being. I legitimately You should see Nate right now. He's got <laughs>
0: his head in his hands and he's rubbing his temples. I need to give you a well, visual. I, like, I have. I've heard,
1: it, I've heard it bandied about so much, and I've heard people just abused by that idea. I, he, he is not a creative being. He's a correct. manipulator. Correct. He's not a creator. God is the only creator in the spiritual realm. He yes. is only a manipulator. And so this idea that a specific genre of music or a specific sound... Or a specific instrument is somehow innately satanic or demonic is absolute garbage and there is no biblical basis for that and there's not even reasonable theological basis for that it's just fear and paranoia or manipulation uh, of people trying to trying to negate something that they don't want to have to deal with and so they just punt by saying "Uh, Satan created that and you can't glorify God with something Satan created bull he does not create. He manipulates. So let's just establish that right off yeah, the bat. Satan prowls
0: around like a roaring lion. Yes. He's not a roaring lion. No. He's very good at taking something that God created and misusing it right. and, and twisting it, but he is not a creator. Like you no. said, that creative ability is is an echo of the of the Lord's image himself.
1: Yeah. 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 So let's just get that out of the way right off the bat. Um, I do think, however... I was just having a discussion with somebody recently who was talking about um, metal music, um, and and specifically like the death metal kind of vibe and all that, um, just the real you know the real heavy dark stuff. And he was talking about it in specifics of a worship environment. He said, "I would love to be in a place where you could go from doing a black gospel praise chorus and then immediately transition into something that is essentially death metal in its sound and continue to worship to that." And I'm like. I don't really think that's necessarily possible.
0: <laughs> For ninety-nine percent of, of us, yes, it would the, not work. The,
1: the, the diversity in a in an environment that you would need to make that happen is not possible to, to meet on a consistent basis. I mean it's just not. It's just not
0: possible. That is that is a flaw of humanity that would just I would be interested to see it. Um but I, I, I do think though that congregational music is a reflection of that. Particular exactly. congregation because it, you're, you're each congregation is going to have their own exactly. sound, their own blend of people. And exactly. when you put all those people in one room, there's a particular flavor that's going to come out. And, right, like it's not that one would be any better than the other, but if there was, say, a whole church full of people that used to be in death metal and that's what they want to worship to, right. Hey, how and it, it, it's really
1: interesting because a lot of Christian metal bands have some of the most theologically deep lyrics that you will ever see, but you can't understand them because they're barking most of them. You know, through, however, throughout most I of
0: have not enjoyed myself at a show like I did at a Devil Wears Prada show. <laughs> oh my goodness! If you want that, that was a Warped Tour. I went yeah. to Warped Tour, and, and uh, it was Amberlin was doing their finale, and they were it was the last time they were going to be on Warped Tour, so I yeah. went to see them. And Devil Wears Prada was amazing. <laughs> I loved every minute of it.
1: Well, and you know, one of the things that we did talk about, though, when when we talked about that is, I said, the one thing I struggle with, with the whole metal, death metal genre, I feel like it's a, it's a wonderful evangelistic tool. But because of the lifestyle that goes along with that, the lifestyle is so much about emptiness and about loss and about depression, about depravity. It's like, and so... Being able to maintain emotionally what happens in that music, but with positivity, is really, really difficult.
0: Does... Music have to be positive.
1: No, but I'm talking in terms of like if it, in a in a worship context specifically. Oh yes. Like I've okay. seen I've so seen he was guys. Talking about worship yeah. So I've yeah. seen guys who are who they they're metal musicians. They're super on fire for Jesus. They love him with yeah. all their hearts, and that is an evangelistic tool for them. And they're still talking about the realities of suicide, the the realities of drugs, the realities of sexual abuse, the realities of physical abuse. Yeah. But then they're pointing to Jesus in the midst of that. Um, but you it's it's not a it's not a genre for for joy that's the hard thing that's about true. it it's it's a genre that can point to hope, but it's it's not a a genre for joy i mean it's just it's just really hard to get there and so to that end, I feel like it's very difficult to to use that in a worship context. It's possible in the right culture and the right environment but I see it more as an evangelistic tool than as a as a worship tool
0: yeah and okay, so going back to positive feelings in music, that's the other thing that people get screwed up on and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, your music has to be positive and uplifting in some way. And yet I have, when when you're in a place of sadness or despair, you do have a choice what you do with that. And you can feed that with like totally negative stuff. Or you can find connection in that moment with somebody that identifies with you. And it can help pull you out. Now there is kind of a fine line there, yeah. and I've seen people just feed their own, either their own despair, their own despondency, their own sadness, and you can feed that, or you can say, "Hey, this song, this lets me know that somebody else knows where I'm at." Exactly. Whether or not it it ends up being positive, yeah, it, it uh, the overall tone of the song may be completely sad. Right. But it's like, oh, that's what I feel, and you just feel that release. Right. Like I've connected here, right. and,
1: and it's and it's ultimately it's projection because that person does not know what you've gone through. That's right. That person doesn't even know you exist, but yet they were still able to communicate something in a song that you you can hold on to and say, yeah, I have felt exactly that. I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly what you're thinking even though that person may have just literally said, I'm going to sit down and write a sad song and didn't feel anything connected to it. But that's pretty rare for those things to happen and someone to have continued success.
0: Or in the case of Blink-182, they wrote Adam's song, you know, and with something totally different in mind. And they ended up with a situation where kids that were suicidal were connecting with that song in a way that didn't Mm. point to life. And all of a sudden they had a mess on their hands. Right, And they're like, we didn't intend any of this. You know, but... And, and there are unintended consequences to writing yeah. that type of music. Yeah. But um, I'm not all for, like, listening to a ton of music that has no positive yeah. thing in my life because it doesn't add. Right. At this stage in my life, I'm at the place where I, if something is not adding. Right. And it's not building me up in some way, I'm willing to cut it out. Yeah. Kind of like Facebook. At a certain point, it stops adding, and then it needs to go. Yeah. Or or anything else in my right. life once it stops adding.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's that's why I'm I'm a really kind of unique bird in some ways because I love like I love like classic 70s rock and roll. Like I love it. Like Led Zeppelin is one of my favorite bands oh, yeah. in the world. And and for me it's about the aggression and the, the intensity of what it is. And obviously the musicianship is phenomenal as well. Um, some of the writing is really, really great. Some of it's mostly just like, eh, this is riff rock and it's awesome and you know, I'm I'm not gonna have a problem with that.
0: They wrote these lyrics so that they could play that riff. Exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs> the music is the point and, and the, the the lyrics are just something that needed to be there. Um but I get a lot of I've gotten a lot of flack from people over the years who, as a worship leader, find out that I listen to things other than purely the top forty Christian whatever it is. Oh no. You don't listen to just Christian music. And they're all the more shocked when I tell them I don't listen to Christian music unless I'm listening to worship music. Because I don't. I mean I grew up listening to it. Like I still love, you know, DC Talk and Audio Adrenaline and and Delirious is still my favorite band of probably of all time. Oh yeah. So so I can go back through and I can I can go blow for blow with you on nineties Christian you know CCM stuff. Yeah. I, I loved it. I grew up on that. But as things do, that music led me to other things, yeah. and and I learned about, you know, I, I I learned about guys like Eric Clapton. I learned about people like the Beatles. I and those have in in turn led me to other musicians. Um, and and that's the way it's going to be, especially if you're a musician. You you've got to be able to draw on multiple
0: influences like that. As a that. guitarist, you're gonna end up listening to Jack White at some point. It's gonna happen. <laughs> I love Jack White because he is like he is a
1: like a Tim Burton creation of <laughs> in real life. Uh, I mean, in real life of of all the things that made old school rock awesome. And somehow he is here in in twenty eighteen when he really should be like probably right about the nineteen forties transitioning into the nineteen fifties. But then also an amalgamation of like the '70s and he '80s. He reintroducing
0: scene. us to vinyl. And so. and and I
1: I love I lo- he is the most contradictory person I think I have ever heard talk about life and and th- he's just he's a complete he is just a he's like a spare parts personality and I absolutely <laughs> love him he is one of my heroes yeah. without a doubt but he's one of the ones that's led me to some of these other things um and and you know I I got really uh, the, the very first secular non Christian music that I really got into, and you're going to roll your eyes when I tell you this, was Hanson.
0: Oh, my. I, you could have literally said any other band. Yeah. And
1: I would have been like. But you got to think of this. They came out in 1997, okay?
0: I was in seventh grade.
1: So was I. And they were my age. Like, I'm looking That's at true. these guys, I'm like, these are guys who are my age. They're, they're playing their instruments, they're, they've got good harmonies, they're actually writing their own music, and I got super into that. And at that time, my voice hadn't changed, so I'm singing in the same register. I'm like, this is awesome. And the thing is, the sad thing about Hanson is they're actually a pretty decent band. They're still touring, and actually the very first w- uh, date I took my wife on was to a Hanson show. And she loved it. It was great. Um, but they, they loved... Fifties, nineteen fifties and sixties classic rock and roll, and that came through in a lot of there. They kind of had that doo-wop kind of vibe, and so that led me to you know your Chuck Berry's. That led me to your Beach Boys. That led me to so I I I've literally started to revert, you know. So I went from nineties Christian, you know CCM stuff, and I have slowly worked my way backwards <laughs> into all these other things. Um, and so I I do not I, I will full full disclosure everybody, unless it is worship music. Um I I don't listen to Christian music. I just and don't. I don't
0: do it. One of the places I was hoping we would end up is talking a little bit about Christian music because um it's become hard to define. Yeah. And I'm not sure. So I work with some of the youth at our church and one of the kids was saying, you know, I just don't know what Christian bands are even out out there. And I went to like tell them hey you should listen to these people and i'm running through the list in my head and i'm like you know what i don't know anyone that i could be like yeah these are the right. people because like skillet is still fairly big but hey they were out when i was in like ninth grade yeah how they've been around irrelevant for a long time. are i mean how relevant is it to say you know go listen to these guys yeah. but I agree with you that the true Christian music that's left is worship music. And because it is innately a Christian thing and you won't, you won't get it. If you don't, if you're not a Christian, you don't under, you might not understand what's going on. You know, it might not make any sense. Right. Um, but I was, I was, I was interested to see like Justin Bieber saying that on his iPod, you know, No Longer Slaves is on there. Right. You know, on his regular, like, listening to. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, No Longer Slaves, a Torwalt song. You know, <laughs> so, is it a Torwalt no, song? No, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, I can't remember now. Uh, Jess is going to go. And Helzer. Helzers. Yeah, John, That's right. Helzer, John and Helzer. Yeah. Helzer. Yeah, John David Helzer, yeah. John yeah.
1: yeah, I, here, a really interesting thing happened with, with CCM in the, in the 90s, probably I would say mid 90s on, um. And it's really gotten bad now. It's it's far worse than it was then. But CCM was born... So CCM, for those of you who don't know, stands for Contemporary Christian Music. It's, it is its own industry separate yes. from everything else. You get Dove Awards instead of Grammys yes. for that. So anyway... Uh, although there are CCM artists that have won double, double or Grammys as well, you know, DC Talk was one of the first favorite, that won a Grammy.
0: Was it POD? They wanted to give him a Dove Award, and they basically just for like, no thanks. Yeah, it's not a real award. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but this this is my this is my thing, is that out of the you know the Christian music industry was birthed out of the Jesus movement in the '60s and '70s. And it wasn't people it was people who were hippies and who were rockers, and like they Fire said Norman. yeah, and they basically yeah. just said, "Well, we've gotten radically saved, so now we're just going to write about Jesus. Awesome. That is great. I got no problem with that because they still wrote about real things. they still yeah. wrote about real life stuff, real issues they were dealing with and and they also wrote about Jesus. They weren't looking to create a Christian music industry.
0: and a lot of those guys, uh, the the mainstream Christian church at the time, they those guys' political beliefs were like, yeah, in direct opposition, yeah. and, and and they got in trouble right. for some of that stuff. And
1: and the church basically took a hard no on <laughs> on the Jesus music era. I mean, yeah. there were some that were like, kind of saw where the trend was going, like, yeah, we'll we'll tap into this. But for the most part, the church gave that a hard no, um, and it took until pretty much the '80s for that to start to become an acceptable thing uh, within the church. So. Into the 80s, you started seeing still unique people. I mean, Michael W. Smith was a unique dude. Uh, Amy Grant was Keith very... Bean. Yeah, these things that were, were widely pretty incredible, but birthed out of that Depending kind of Depending how
0: you categorize Striper.
1: Yeah, well, they were, they were their own thing. But yeah, I don't want to, don't want to go there.
0: But what, what started to happen in the 90s was That's this. That's not CCM.
1: It went from... CCM was just people who happened to write about Jesus, and they created an industry around that. Um, but then it started to transition into what are alternatives we can give our teenagers to the music that's popular? Yeah. So instead of saying, okay, you create something that sounds like you and that's bringing something unique and worthwhile to the table, it suddenly was, okay, Nirvana happened. Uh, so grunge rock is a thing now. DC Talk, why don't you make the Jesus Freak album? which I love that album. I cut my teeth on that album. That was my first genuine rock album that I ever heard.
0: If you were a kid our age in a church at all, you had Jesus Freak Freak. and your parents did not like
1: it. Yes. Yeah, my dad loved DC Talk up until that point because he liked the whole hip-hop soul vibe that they had. And then,
0: my dad was against it for the same reason. Yeah, and then, but, and my dad wasn't against it. He my just dad didn't, did not like yeah. the hip hop vibe. Uh, see, you know, my dad, my
1: dad loved it, man. And he was a my dad was a youth pastor at the time, yeah. so he used that with his teens all the time. You know, the Free at Last album. He, I mean, he loved that. And plus, my dad is a is a black gospel junkie. Like that is his. But my dad wheelhouse. is not a
0: killjoy. He is the guy that introduced me to all of that, like what you were talking about, Larry Norman. Oh yeah, and yeah, like yeah. All Of the, course, like, uh, of course. Phil Caggy and of all course. those guys. Like, yeah. He he loved all of yeah. that. The hip-hop thing was just not... Yeah,
1: just a little... I got it. I got it. I totally got it. But but then with that, and because Jesus Freak became huge, and I'm sorry, if you listen to Jesus Freak right next to Smells Like Teen Spirit, it is a total rip-off of Smells Like Teen Spirit. And it pains me to say that because I still love that song, and I will always yeah. love that song. But it is a it is a vibe-for-vibe, vibe, almost chord-for-chord rip-off you know, of you Smells know Like Teen it's Spirit. You know It's just
0: like that, and it's towards the latter part of CCM music. When Reliant K came out with Pressing On, it hmm. made me furious. <laughs> Go on YouTube tonight and pull up Blink-182's, can I say "damn it"? It's D-A-M-M-I-T. <laughs> <laughs> it's but the you title pull up you got song, you, gotta say. you pull up Blink-182, uh, that song, and put it back to back with Pressing On. That lead-in guitar riff is straight up stolen. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up stolen. And it's about, what, three years too late?
1: Yeah, yeah. Something and, like and that? S- and so that's that's the thing. And I remember, I remember the first time I saw that this is where this was going. It was, I don't even remember what, I, I was playing, we were playing in an event. So this would have been later, this would have been early 2000s, because that's when it really started to hit hard, when they really started doing this. I saw Wait, a you, chart. You
0: were playing in an event?
1: Yeah, yeah, back with in the band that I was in at okay. the time. Yeah, I was playing in an event at Fire Firepan. For some of you out know there who a remember Firepan,
0: Firepan, were you guys mainly just a worship? We started out
1: doing our own stuff, like okay. we were writing original stuff and whatnot, and then we did one show where we did a performance section, and then the second section we decided to do as a worship set, and the response was so dramatically different that we were like, we need to stop doing this and we need to just do this. And so then it was like four, four years of basically a touring worship band when that was a novel thing and, and not really much of anything. I mean, that yeah. was you know very early 2000s. Um, My
0: wife went to your shows. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah.
1: A lot of people in, in Mennoniteville that, yes. <laughs> that saw us in that era.
0: Anyway, so you were but, at
1: an event. But I was at an event and there was a chart that was there for this youth group, and I won't mention the church as that because it is a local church. And um, again, this was like 15 years ago, so I mean, this I'm sure this is long past. Yeah. But they had a chart of popular artists and then a Christian artist that could be an alternative to that artist oh, no. for their teens. And that was the first time. Well, first of all, I was looking at them, like these don't match up at all. Like this person doesn't hardly sound like that person. You can't. But I'm I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, where did we go wrong? That suddenly we're trying to be an alternative instead of a creative. Yeah. If you look back in the history of the church, some of the greatest music that has ever come in the classical sense has been birthed through the church or written about spiritual things. Whether it's uh, Handel's Messiah or uh, 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 Beethoven's uh, uh, Ode to Joy, um, you know, there's just all these there's all these things that are are spiritually centered in some way. And genuine creativity came out. You see that in, the, in 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 painting as well. You know the arts. You know you, you, you know the Sistine Chapel and you know all these different things where where religious passion uh, moved people to and create church, something. The church genuine.
0: itself was commissioning artists. Exactly. Exactly. They were commissioning art. They were right. commissioning music. and right. They were saying, "Go create something right. for the church." Now that was a huge, broad state church right. kind of thing. Right. But right. Um, and a lot of artists would not have had employment outside of it, but right. that's that it's still it still right. comes to bear right. when you're talking about right. Christians being creative.
1: Right. And so what happened is is in the early that late nineties, early two thousands, it turned into how can we emulate what's popular? So, you know, Katy Perry comes out with something that's totally fresh and new and all of a sudden you hear all of the 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 CCM gals trying to emulate Katy Perry's sound. Justin Bieber came out, same thing happens. And so you 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 have sacrificed the creative element in favor of the popular element. And CCM in my opinion, now let me be very clear here. I still have a ton of respect for those who write CCM. Yeah, who actually create the lyric and and musical content. What I have a problem with is the industry itself, the producers and the executives who look at current, put their put their finger on the pulse of current pop culture and say, okay, we're going to convert you into this type of sound. Um, I, I remember Lincoln Brewster came out with an album, and I've always liked Lincoln Brewster lies he's a phenomenal guitar player. Um, he is, but, a, by but,
0: himself, he's a very guitar, yeah, good guitar yeah. player. Yeah.
1: But I remember hearing one of his albums, and I was late, you know, tune for tune, I'm like, oh, that sounds like this John Mayer song, and that sounds like this John Mayer song. And it's uh, like, hey, you're a good guitar player. John Mayer's a good guitar player. Let's make you like John Mayer. Let's produce you like we would John Mayer. And, and, and it is. It's, it literally became analytics, basically looking at what was popular, saying what made that song popular. Okay, let's do that, um, as opposed to genuinely creating something. And I feel like at this stage in my life, I've, I've completely rejected the CCM model, And I'm much more in favor of someone who, um, yes, they're a Christian, but they're a musician. They're not a Christian musician. They're a Christian who happens to be a musician. And they write about Jesus sometimes, but other times they'll just write about life or they'll just sing about life. And that's okay.
0: Have you, and I find this interesting, um, I love Need to Breathe, but Need to Breathe is a band that has kind of created a sound all their own. Yeah. And they love creating something brand new and they've toured on really big tours um, and have done some of their own tours and all that kind of thing. So they, I mean, they're by themselves, they're a good band. Yeah. One of the things that doesn't necessarily check the box of Christian music is they don't say Jesus, Jesus, God, God, Right. you know, and, and one of the things that bothered me about the mid 90s CCM was that you had to present the gospel message like your your music had to be a vehicle for the gospel and it had to be markedly so or it was out right you couldn't write like that's one of the things that got Sixpence none the richer in trouble it's one of the things that got like uh pod in trouble Switchfoot. and when i say in trouble like some of you that don't know CCM, you don't know what it was like yeah. in these churches at the time. Yeah. Like Sixpence, None the Richer was a Christian band. They wrote Kiss Me, and all of a sudden, like it's huge on all the charts. Right. And the Christian music industry didn't own any of that. Right. And they're like, yep, eh, we're good. Yeah. We're not playing it on our station yep. or any of that, you know. And, and I'm like, ah, it's just talking about kissing someone. Yeah. And it because it was not, they weren't, Preaching the specific right. gospel message, and the same thing with Pod. They were phenomenal Christians, right. and they went they went on tour with like Limp Bizkit and Corn, oh, yeah. played
1: Ozfest and, and uh, all this yeah. stuff. Yeah.
0: And Pod is a unique study for me because I love this. Everybody in Christendom love the fact that Brian Welch became a Christian, and they're like, oh, a huge you know rocker from Corn became a Christian. How did you think that happened? (laughs) He toured with POD. There is pictures of POD before before going out on stage, all circling up, praying over one another before Mm -hmm. they go out there. They lived the life of a Christian in the middle of everybody else and were just fine doing it and rocked the crowd just as hard as any of the other acts on the stage and did a phenomenal job. To me, that's being a Christian witness. That's being salt and light. You are finally... In the world, doing right. what a Christian ought to be doing, and magically, other people become Christians. Right? How did that happen without you preaching <laughs> the gospel through all of your songs and saying God and Jesus in every line? How did that happen? Yeah. Well, and that's and that's
1: the thing that stood out to me that made me finally realize that there was something wrong with the idea of a Christian music industry. Um, yeah. Again, outside of worship music, I feel like worship is its own thing, and and it's okay for. I'm not saying it's sinful or wrong, but I don't have a problem with creating a Christian music industry around the idea of worship. I don't have a problem with that because that is something that is unique to the church. Yeah, it's but uniquely Christian. The thing I the thing I realized, I, I, <laughs> I was like, well, okay, if it's so important for us to have a Christian music industry, why don't we have a Christian version of the NFL where you can only <laughs> play football in this league if you're a Christian? And... Have very cheesy, biblically based team names. Why isn't there a Christian version of the NBA where Christians play in that? And again, same same vibe. And we're always going to have oh, gospel wow. presentations. Like there is literally no other work that I know of. Well, in where...
0: the '90s, we tried to have Christian clothing. That oh, was yeah. so funny. Yeah, those were memes before memes. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but WWJD thing was close. Yeah, I still
1: I still don't know what that is. I I've never looked into how that thing really yeah how that really started. Oh, I know what it means. I mean, yeah, obviously from
0: the book by Charles Sheldon.
1: Is that where it started? Yeah. Okay, I had no idea. They they, they, then that's the thing. They were just bracelets, and everybody knew what they meant, and everybody wore them. And if you saw your favorite sports figure wearing like they're Christian too because they wore a WWJD bracelet, even though they were just massively popular and everybody wore them for a good long while. Yeah. Um, but, but that's the thing is when I realized there's no other industry where you've created something that is specifically uniquely Christian in its base. And I looked at that and and of course, knowing the details more so of the Christian music industry. And I've realized that it's, it's a, a largely a sham in a lot of ways. A lot of people who are in CCM as artists are people who couldn't make it in mainstream. And so they switched over and they started doing Christian music. And the thing is you know, alcoholism and drug use are just as pervasive in CCM as they are, uh, maybe more so as they are in, in the regular music industry. But again, it's, it says the right things. And again, goes right to what we're doing with the things we say. It says all the right things regardless of what it does. And so we're okay with it. Um, Where I would far rather have a guy who's working out his salvation. And yeah, maybe he swears occasionally in some of the lyrics he writes because that's where he's at in that moment in life. I would far rather have that than have somebody who's telling me how everything comes up, you know, puppies and roses and unicorn farts and <laughs> and and is all the time drowning in depression and just denies it or or dealing with drug use and just won't even talk about it. Won't I, I, I get very worked up about the disingenuous nature of it.
0: And to pull that back in, that is what we're doing on the things we say. One of the things that we talked about at the very beginning is that it's much more important. We talked about this in the opening segment. It is much more important who I am, what, what I believe, what I actually do, yeah. than what I say. And right. I can say, Jesus, God, Jesus, all that. And yeah. all of a sudden, my life isn't reflecting that. What's it worth? Right. And and there will be those on that day that say, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast, you know? And he'll say, I never knew you. Yeah. The whole point is, who do you know? Who do you live like? Who do you who do you reflect? Right. You know, is what you say you believe really real? And yeah, what's the point in being fake? Well, this band checks all the boxes. Right. They're, They're wonderful because they check all the boxes, and they're being fake. Do you not care? Right. Do you care that they're being fake at all? And and even so, now. Now we're judging the music we listen to based on the lifestyle of the person that wrote it. Yeah. Okay, this is going to get me into another thing. I don't I don't like how we define Christian music and that is we say we say this is this person is a Christian artist and this person is not. Yeah. Are you judging their salvation? We don't do this in any other category. I don't hire a plumber based on this. I don't right. I don't Hire, I don't do anything else in my life. You know, take my car to a Christian mechanic. Like, right. It's like, um, so wait. Before I listen to this song, I have to personally know the person and see if they're living out the lifestyle of Jesus in their everyday. Right. Like, who has time to do that much research? <laughs> what if the song just speaks to me?
1: Right. You know. Right. And 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 again, I think that I think that negates the reality of how powerful music innately is, uh, you know, just just in and of itself. And it changes it to a fear. It changes it to a, well, if it's not Christian, you're going to be corrupted by it. I'm sorry. No. Like, no, that's not how it works. You you don't have total corruption because you listened to that one Led Zeppelin that one time or you listen to that one Harry Connick Jr. song instead of listening to, you know, I don't know, the Imperials back I mean, in the day
0: does it have the power to corrupt you yes yes but I, think I think it t- does i think i think diving in to uh once again music is a reflection of where your heart is at mm-hmm. but it can feed different areas like yeah. you can choose to feed the good dog or the bad dog right in, in your heart and in your mind like yeah, absolutely. It, you can choose that, and music can be a part of that, but it's a reflection, too, of your heart and yeah. where you're at. It's not necessarily, in my mind, that the music is, in and of itself, well, going to corrupt you no, just because and, you listen and, to and it. And the
1: reality of it is, something is only has a corrupting effect if it's sin. Yeah. Because it, let, me get in, let me get into that. We talked about this before. We talked about this before, where something even... Innocuous can become sin if the Holy Spirit has told you and to stay away from it and you do back it anyway. Yeah, in fear culture. Yeah, in where fear culture. I
0: wanted where, and I still do want to bring this in a little bit because music is still a type of media. Yeah. And so we're careful about the movies we watch, like we discussed. Like there are certain genres of movies that I won't go down. And there are certain genres of music that I won't go down. Right. Because I don't need what all's wrapped up in there what they're saying right. does not honor god it right. does not lift me up it doesn't do anything for me and it can feed a part of my life that i don't want yeah my heart doesn't seek that stuff no, out absolutely. so i'm not going to find and
1: it and i can't i can't i can't jive with something that intentionally sets itself uh, sets itself up against god yeah like so I'm not there's gonna. Whole I'm not gonna, yeah. of
0: music that you won't yeah. listen to because and it's, that's what it does. And it's
1: not even that I won't. Like I, I couldn't. Like even trying to, I yeah. could. Like I couldn't sit down and listen through and be okay with having Marilyn Manson albums. I couldn't. No. You know, I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Um, but there's nothing innately evil about the sound and the style of what is happening. And that's what we've gotten into in the church. We're equating
0: style with. So you're talking about the musical element itself, not necessarily yeah. the lyrics right. and what they're saying, right. or, or physically doing, mm-hmm. or the lifestyle behind it, but the actual sound right. that a guitar makes, or a drum, or right that sound. The, a,
1: yeah, the actual you know like the actual tone, sound, and vibe, and aggression so this of is a musical something style. Something
0: just to explore a little bit because I haven't really thought it out. Um, if you were to separate out just the sound from something, from a song that would, say, set itself up against God or be completely feeding an area of your life that you wouldn't want it to, Mm -hmm. um, a sinful area of your life, if you were able to separate out just the lyrics and only have the sound, does it have the power to do the same thing? Because I haven't thought about that. We're talking about music exerting emotion itself.
1: I think I think there are things that music covers over. I think there are things that you would listen to musically that don't necessarily that you wouldn't sit down and read a book of or read or have somebody just say to you. Yeah and music can be a cover in some ways. And in that sense, there is something to be aware of, something that you need to be aware of if you're if you're listening to things or, or whatever. But at the same time, content is everything you know and and so yeah i i genuinely believe if you if you were to play a song and it was just the music of it no vocals at all just purely the sound of the instruments no i don't think there is anything innately wrong or evil or oppressive about that in and of itself
0: so i would probably disagree with that mm-hmm. i i would feel like because to me music is a spiritual experience yeah and i can sense a spiritual sp- sphere that's not i mean it's another sense a spiritual yeah. sense of what's going on you can sense the presence of god or his absence mm-hmm. and the the spiritual connection within that song whether there's lyrics connected to it or not i still think that there's there's something that you could pick up from Mm -hmm. what's going on now. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing though. In saying that,
1: are you talking about the music itself or are you talking about the people and the literal hands that are creating the music and the spiritual intent behind it? Because I think that's where there's a difference because, okay, for example, I, I, uh, there's, a, there's a, a string quartet that I listen to sometimes called the Vitamin String Quartet.
0: Okay. And
1: what they do is they take rock albums and they do string versions of them with a string quartet. Yeah. So, you know, viola, cello, uh, uh, and uh, two violins. It's awesome. It's really, really cool. Uh, one of my favorite things is they did uh, a Radiohead, the OK Computer album, and they, they did that. And that album is so trippy and electric and weird, and they somehow managed to be able to emulate it. And so, okay, in that sense, if somebody you know, takes a, and again, if, if you were to listen to that and had no clue of the lyrics, no clue of the content, so you didn't have any connection with, oh, yeah. I know this song and I can sing along with it just because the melody's there. But if you were just listening to it that way and hearing it with other hands, other people in another spirit playing that song, yeah. would it innately by itself, do that, does that collection of notes and that melody, is it innately... Spiritually dark, or light, or is it just a neutral that is being used as a vehicle?
0: Uh, I, I see what you're saying there. I could get on board with that. One of the things that I often struggle with is no, no Christian in the '90s or late '80s or whatever had any problem with classical music at all. Right, and they're like, they're like, well, you know, it's it's fairly neutral ground. It's like you can listen to CCM and classical and. Like I've talked about this with my wife, there are times where I'm listening to a classical composition. I'm like, this just makes me feel weird. Why do I feel weird listening to this? Yeah. And I'm and and it's not everyone. I mean, it's certain ones feel uplifting, and I'm not sure why. And other ones do not. And um, uh, and I do feel like there's an emotional, spiritual connection with particular compositions of music that yeah. I'm like that I can't explain and and can't really dive into. So maybe I'm disproving a point that I tried to make <laughs> earlier. But I do think we need to be careful with our yeah. music and our and our choices because of the dangers that are presented there. Without a doubt. And I am concerned when I see kids diving into music that contains a lot of coarse language, a lot of dark subject matter, and it's teaching them things that they should not otherwise know. Yeah. And like ruining a type of innocence and mm. and a way of experiencing the world that they're not gonna get a chance to experience now because they know things, they've heard things, they've seen things in their mind because of this music that is now beginning to change their personality and, yeah. and feed a part of them. So I do if you're listening to this, I we're not I'm not just throwing it out there like just go listen to whatever you want. No, it not doesn't at all. matter. But yeah. We're talking about becoming creative without the need to right. have to check all the boxes. Right.
1: And I and I think that the reality of that is that that comes down to that comes down to reality of of relationship with the Holy Spirit and and the combination of the Holy Spirit and conscience. Because because here's the thing
0: I now, prom- Am I going to run around and tell people that that particular classical music composition is bad for them, too? No, 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 no. I'm never going to do no. that. That would sound and so idiotic. And again, idiot. there, are, there
1: are some things content-wise that are, without a doubt, if you even just lay it up against the Bible, that are, without a doubt, problematic. And yeah. you cannot say, this is okay for me to
0: participate in. Sorry, just l- did I, I ruin your thought you were talking about? Connection with the Holy Spirit. No, no, no.
1: And and so so those things aside, there's just the reality of that that balance between conscience and the and the connection with the Holy Spirit, that you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, of him basically saying, Okay, I just feel like or you're you're in your in your spirit, man, feeling that there's just something innately wrong with this, and I need to I need to set it aside. And the reality of it is. We know what those things are. It's not rocket science. It's not like we're waiting for something and we're not getting the revelation we need. Like we know those things. We may fight them. We may deny them. We may lie to our parents or to our spouses and say, no, this doesn't affect me or this isn't a problem. But we know. And so You know what leads you down path Yeah, paths. we absolutely know. And so this uh, this idea that we're somehow to, somehow going to be deceived into now we can become numb to it. If we reject it long enough, but this idea that we're going to somehow slip something in—it's like people who think they're going to lose their salvation, you know, without realizing it, without intentionally walking away from it.
0: Oh man, I accidentally lost my salvation. Yeah, today. yeah, what that. Happened?
1: Yeah, that's not a thing. Like that is not <laughs> a thing. And and this is the same kind of thing, whether it's entertainment choices or, um, you know, I thought that was really good. You know, Pastor Andrew today saying that, you know, if you doubt, if you have any doubt, if you're not sure about something, just don't. Don't do it. Don't even mess with the the possibilities. And I love that. That's a great. That's great advice. Aside from the Holy Spirit, that's just good solid advice. If yeah. you have it, this kind thing of, might uh, lead
0: me down the wrong track. Yeah. Well, don't do it. That's... Right. And so, so I
1: hate the idea that we somehow have to police particular genres or styles or sounds in order to somehow save people from, I don't know, sinning or being caught up or being dragged to hell by.
0: Musical guitars, genius. yeah
1: <laughs> it, it, that's what I have a problem with and and so when I look at music I, I think of it as yes there's an innately spiritual component and it connects with us spiritually in some way but to demonize an entire sound an entire genre or any of that based on those superficial things you know I have I have no problem with somebody saying the lyrics in this are not God-honoring, they're really horrendous, they're, they're misogynistic, they're about abuse to women, like, like yeah. don't even get me started on current hip-hop culture, like, you know, and looking at that saying, this is just wrong, like, this is not okay, these, these things being said about a person, or about anybody, Yes. But is there anything innately wrong with hip hop music? Is there anything innately wrong with the beats and the vibe? And no, there's not. Yeah. And so that idea that a genre can be judged by the horrendous lyrical content of one person, it just—it's not. It—it—it's intellectually dishonest. To and
0: me. it creates fear. That's another thing yes. that I want to make sure we pull out. One of the basis for for all of this, even creating a separate CCM music industry, is the fear. Yeah that's involved with like, oh man, like there's so much to be afraid of in the world. And we need to cloister ourselves in this Christian bubble and make sure nothing punctures that bubble. And we're going to hide out in here while the rest of the world passes us by like a nuclear holocaust. And it's like, uh, guys, it's not what's going on. You're really living in a lot of fear and we want to get fear out of our lives. Like this is not going to kill you. Right. Like you, well, and you and it can be in the world and not of it, right? Exactly. And I want to go back to like that POD example, like, and who knows where they're at right now? I don't know where POD is at, what they're no, doing. No, they're still but, they're still definitely walking with Jesus. Uh,
1: ironically enough, our uh, our current uh, district superintendent actually has a relationship with uh, the uh, the lead singer of POD. They're they're close friends. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm glad we used that example because I I loved that they were in that industry that everybody said was evil and that they should have no part in and they they should not tour with these people and blah, blah, blah. And here they are. That's where we should be. As Christians, that's where we should be. We should be creating our own stuff that allows us on the same stage with everybody else. And why wouldn't we want to do that? Yeah. I mean, you might not check all the boxes that gets you signed up for a Christian label, but so what?
1: Right. And this this is the thing that I innately, not innately, at the base of it, this is what bothers me about the Christian music industry is it's not Christian. It's industry. The only reason it's Christian is because there's a built in audience and they know they don't have to produce the same kind of quality because they have that built in audience. And let's be honest. It's just like the Christian movie industry. I have the only Christian movie I've ever seen that was worth its salt from end to end was the passion of the Christ. And that was a pet project. That was a straight up Hollywood type production that somebody just spent a ton of money on and they wanted to do. And they were willing to go all the way with it in terms of the violence, yeah. in terms of, they weren't trying to make a family friendly movie. They were just going to make it what it was. They didn't
0: pull any punches. And, and they and just created something for the sake of, of creating right. it. And, and Mel Gibson said that he felt like he had to do this. Yeah. Like it was, it he was, was compulsion. He had it. to do it. Yeah. And,
1: and the Christian music industry is no longer that. I think there was a time when it was. But the industry as a whole, that is not what it is anymore. It is producing a product that has a built-in audience that reduces the ability, or the, I'm sorry, removes a lot of the need to try. And again, that has not always been the case. Um, and again, I'm not taking a swipe at actual creators in the CCM yeah. market in, in terms of writers, in terms of of that kind of thing. But as far as the industry itself, the executive, what exists, it is, it is not it is not Christian. It is, it just has that label in order to get Christians to buy it.
0: But the the music industry as a whole is so brutal. Yeah, I mean, as a whole is so brutal. And it's such a a toxic environment in some ways that like finding a way to survive and creating a niche. I mean, I applaud people for, you know, finding a way to survive and continue to make what they want to make. That's the beauty
1: of the internet and the beauty of things like YouTube and, and the advent of recording technology that's available on computers, the fact that we're doing this right now, is it, has, it is taking the power back from those industries yeah. in ways that those industries never should have had, but they grew so into something. you say that
0: SoundCloud rappers have a purpose. Yes. <laughs> yes, they're
1: part of the resistance. Hallelujah. But that's the thing I love is, is the music industry as a whole is dying in terms of its necessity. And they don't realize it. They're fighting it. They're doing everything they can to negate that. And the Christian music industry is about five to ten years behind in realizing that. Um, but I love it. I love independent arts. I love that these even little independent labels are sp- sparking up that don't have the traditional trappings of of industry, um, and and are and are producing something and creating something and allowing their their people to create something. And and, and again, if you don't have if you have a label who doesn't like something, you don't even
0: have to be in a label. You can produce and record anything at almost any level of quality. And like the even some really good Christian bands that couldn't get traction anymore, like Disciple wasn't signed to anybody. They kind of like left yeah. their label and did a totally crowdfunded album. Yep. And and they totally crowdfunded the entire thing so they can make whatever sound they wanted, yep. produce the music that their people wanted to listen to, and they went out and make great music. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is one of their best albums ever because yep. it was crowdfunded. It, didn't ha- it wasn't beholden didn't have to any traffics. structure.
1: And that's, and that's my problem with the music industry in general. Yeah. Um, so just, just so you all know, I don't only take these swipes at the Christian music industry. I just take the the swipes of the Christian music industry because it's associated with my faith in a way that I think is disingenuous. And so I get a little bit more heated about that one than I do because the, the, the music industry in the world, it knows exactly what it is and it doesn't care and doesn't try to pretend to be anything else. It's cutthroat. It's it's cutthroat. It's dirty. It's yeah, it's, it's all about the money and they will admit it to your face without a problem. Um, And so I have more respect for that than I do trying to mask the exact same things and the exact same motives in a cloak of spirituality that is not real. And again, please, please don't misunderstand me, guys. I know there are genuine believers in CCM. I know there are genuine Christians in band. Like, I know that. I'm talking about the generalization of the industry as a whole. I, I just, I have a lot of problems
0: with it. I'm glad we got there. That yes. was a lot of fun. <laughs> we spent a lot of time, time there. We pulled the cork we out of We spent a that. lot of
1: time there, yeah. But I, but I do. I think, that's, that's, I think the church has, has missed a lot because they have tried to police music instead of letting music be what it's going to be, letting the sounds be what they're going to be, letting creativity
0: be what it's going to be, and, yeah. and accepting that. The church could go a long way once again blessing creative people. Yes. And just releasing them to do what they were called to do Mm -hmm. and not saying, well, you can create only this, but not that, and this, but not that, and right. putting so many boundaries on our creative people. And then we wonder how churches get stuck in a box or stuck in a bubble. Right. The part of our body of Christ that is like the spear tip that breaks us through to the next levels is our creative people. Yeah, And they're they are they're the ones that are supposed to lead the charge. That's why you look at the Old Testament. Who did God put at the front of every one of his armies? Anytime he was in charge of Israel and put them somewhere... He put the musicians at the front. He right. put the artists and the people that had no weapons. Yeah. They, had, they had no earthly weapons, but they had spiritual weapons, and they were the ones that were creative, and they were supposed to take people to the next level, right? Into the, the new, into the promised land, into you know the next kingdom, yeah. in, into the next victory over their enemies. That's what they were supposed to do. Yeah. And we have hamstrung our musicians in so many ways by saying you have to say this, and if you don't say that, and we don't accept it. If right. you do say this, then you're accepted. And all of a sudden, we've created something where the only space where you're really free to just create what you want to create is in worship music because mm-hmm. it's a singular direction.
1: Right, and, and even that's controversial enough. I mean, right now, Corey Asbury just came out with his uh, you know, the, the reckless love. I think that's actually the name of the album.
0: Thought out, planned out love of God. Oh no, it's right. Oh,
1: and that's the thing is that has just stirred up a whole storm, which is so funny to me because I actually had a discussion with somebody who's a worship leader recently and they were saying, Oh, we just don't know how we can do that song. If it's going to fly in worship. When I first heard reckless love, I, I loved it, but I thought this is never going to fly in worship. Because it's such a sing-songy, but yet not really. It's not a, It's not an easy tune. Yeah. Like at all. But then, oh, the overwhelming,
0: never-ending wreckless. I never thought of like, it. Like sing just. Yeah, either. it's just
1: this weird. You know, I listen to it over and over again, and I'm like, I just, I don't see this going, but I loved it. But I was just like, I just don't think this is gonna fly in worship. We did it one time and it was like the roof blew off. Like it did not and it's it was very much I could equate it with How He Loves when we first started doing How He Loves back in the day. Yeah. Not How He Loves, How He Loves by John Mark McMillan. Um, and of course that had its controversial, you know, sloppy wet kiss line in it, which initially I was actually We'd planned on not doing that verse. And in the middle of the service, I was just like, we're going to do this verse. I'm going to go to the second verse. We're going to do it because it needed to be done. It needed to be sung. And it something broke loose in that. There was, yeah. the, And I think the same thing for Reckless Love. But now you've got all these people that are freaking out about the theology behind it. And I'm like, one of the best things I saw was somebody describing it as, so it's not reckless to leave 99 sheep and go out after one? Is that is that not reckless?
0: So like, isn't that, that the definition? So that whole song kind of tied into something that I would call my life message. And, and I someday intend to preach this message, but it's, yes. it's really good. And it talks and about Jesus leaving the 99. That is such a huge thing. And we don't understand what he did. Mm. Like he went to look for some, he knew that sheep, that was one of his. Yeah. It wasn't, he's going out and evangelizing anybody with this. Yeah. And I don't want to ruin my life message, but <laughs> he's not going out and finding the lost. Right. He's finding his lost. Right. Something that was his and he went to get it. Yeah. And He's not being super careful and delicate. Right. This is a guy, this is a big brawny shepherd with a large stick coming to find something and deal with whatever's there. Yeah. That's not exactly safe and yeah. nice and, uh, and precious as you see in the right. paintings.
1: Right. Not at all. Not at all, and so yeah. That, again, that's just another example where even, but I feel like I feel like worship music has has started to push that boundary. And again, yeah. I'll go back and blame John Mark McMillan for that with his sloppy wet kiss line. That was the one that kind of opened the floodgates. And of course, you did see people who tried to do that just to be, just to mimic that that creativity. That tried to just be. Controversial for controversial, controversy's sake, and it just yeah. that that shows itself very quickly. But uh, like I love Jeremy Riddle's Furious, yeah. And most people would think, oh, you can't describe God's love as furious, but it, it works. Like it yes. and and it theologically works. You actually can get to that place. Um, so there is a lot of I I, I do feel like worship music kind of is the one place where the church is still. Again, there's a lot of canned same same kind of thing in the christian yeah. music because in the in the late 90s early 2000s all of a sudden worship became this huge thing you had your hill songs and your delirious and your jeff Dio, these people who popped Cutlass up sonic was doing flood
0: worship album
1: exactly and it started to become oh that's selling let's start doing that and that kind of got put a bad taste in my mouth too um, but i really feel like in a lot of ways ccm it's it's genuine creativity comes out of uh, mostly in the worship genre these days yeah and it's mostly the underground guys, like your John Mark McMillan's or um, you know, I I have a ton of respect for Jesus culture and I love them to death and I've, you know, had interactions with people there. But for the most part, I feel like they're kind of your they're kind of your middleman worship. You know, they bring other people's stuff in and they do and they have their own unique sound that's very much them, but I don't think of them as high creators, uh, by any means. Um, I think a lot of the Bethel people are much more in that realm. Um yeah, but again that's that's neither here nor there. I'm not trying to throw anybody no, under the bus. I'm just we don't trying want to, to do that. No, not at all. Not at all. Again, I've 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 interacted with a lot of those people. I have a ton of respect for them and what they do and, and, and their walks with Jesus for sure. So I don't wanna
0: And one of the things that I would not want to do is for somebody to be in a worship setting where God is speaking to them and then all of a sudden they're getting tied up by no, something we said about no. somebody who is writing stuff, but No, not at all. Um, I I do I do want people to be able to experience music and let it let the song be what it is. Yeah. You know, and if if that song is not for you and it doesn't work, you can just leave yeah. it. Like it, you don't have to listen to
1: it. Right. You and some and and honestly, in some houses right, one. in some houses you can't sing Sloppy Wet Kiss and you shouldn't sing Sloppy Wet Kiss because it's sacrificing it's sacrificing the focus on Christ for being edgy.
0: And I remember like, I love the song, I Will Become Even More Undignified Than This, because mm-hmm. there were certain houses in which you couldn't sing, Yeah, I Will Become Even More Undignified Than This. But I felt like it was a crucial element of Old Testament, all-out worship, and it was a prime example of exactly where my heart wants to be as a worshiper. Yeah, I want to be at that place where I want to be undone. I want to be yeah. that sold out and passionate for God that I don't care. Yeah, you know, and and so for me, that was one of the things is I want to be in a house where that can be sung.
1: Yeah, it's funny because now we're drifting into another area that we've talked about doing a podcast on in the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're we might we're starting to breach there. into that. Yeah, but I don't actually want to go into that. I think we've I think we've probably hit about our marker here, and we should probably.
0: Yeah. Is it an hour? Oh, I have no idea
1: how long we've been going. I've been ranting, you've been ranting, we've all been ranting. Everybody's been ranting.
0: I'm sure but you guys have been ranting in yes, your car yes. at us. I'm sure we've made <laughs> half
1: of you mad, and half of you agree with us, at least for half of what we're saying, but probably not for all of it. I don't know that
0: anybody could have made it the whole way through agreeing no, with every step no. of this. There's I, no I, possible I way. I hope <laughs> not.
1: If, if you came through this agreeing with absolutely 100% of what you're hearing, then we're doing something wrong, I would say need um, at
0: least one nasty comment yeah. on Facebook. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but um but yeah, I don't want to get into that but because I think that's a whole other subject for a whole other day that we need to tackle for sure. Kay. Uh but I don't I don't want to do that now. Um so I think we should wrap. I think okay. we should wrap on this. Um and no, I don't mean like in the hip hop sense. You're never going to hear that from me and Sheldon. That would not oh be good. My. That no. would not be good at all. Um I can't even
0: clap in rhythm. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. he once instructed me how and I still don't get
1: it well you know I try I try to, I try to make the world a better place as I wander through it um, okay guys this has been The Things We Say thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time thanks for joining the conversation today The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.